Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I was always a dreamer. I always saw a life beyond the life that I had as a child. It was like a big flashing light. This is what you're supposed to do. Everybody poo-pooed the idea. That work said it couldn't be done. You're in that zone, and it's that out-of-body experience where it just, everything clicks. Sometimes you have those dark moments. I was so depressed when I got fired. I was so mad. People don't need to be afraid to fail. And again, that, that's where you learn. You don't shouldn't be afraid of adversity. You know, that that is the thing that, that makes you strong. This is Jerry Levias. This is Jody Markell. This is Chi Yun. This is Dick Vitale, and you're listening to American Achievers. Welcome to American Achievers, the podcast that celebrates ambition, commitment to excellence, risk-taking, and tenacity on the road to success. I'm Keith Dunavant. Some of my guests are world-famous. Some are rather obscure. Our weekly lineup includes entrepreneurs, athletes, military heroes, civic leaders, artists, and media figures. What they all have in common is a sense of undeniable purpose and an intriguing story that reflects the power of the American dream. A dream is a powerful force. A dream can light a fire inside your soul, lift you out of hopelessness, launch you toward a shiny new reality, sustain you through adversity. A dream can keep you warm on the coldest night, and sometimes A dream can break your heart, especially when it's close enough to reach out and touch. This is a hard truth that Thai Babylonia learned early in life while chasing Olympic gold. She thought one particular heartbreak was an ending. She was mistaken. Actually, it was a beginning. Join me for a conversation about success, failure, and the pursuit of excellence with one of the greatest figure skaters, of all time. Ty, thanks for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome, Keith. I'm looking forward to this. Tell us about your early influences. My early influences. Well, skating-wise, it all started, I was probably six years old, and my godfather, Mako Nakashima is his name, took me, in fact, he gave me my name, Ty, because my parents couldn't think of a name in the hospital. And he simply said, Ty, and it stuck. So, so Mako took me to, it was, um, it's still there, Pickwick Ice Arena in Burbank, um, to a skating birthday party. I had, I had no idea what, what ice skating was. I had no idea what an ice rink was. I just, I was, you know, but for some reason he thought that I would enjoy it and have a great time skating with him on the public session with all the other skaters and the kids and blah, blah, blah. So I get there and he gets me on the ice, you know, it's a little, I can't remember the details, but I get on the ice and he ends up having to t- have to take me back home just because I was miserable. And I guess I started crying and it was just not pleasant. So fast forward, you know, maybe a year and a half or a year, 
and I see I'm watching television and Peggy Fleming comes on the screen. And this was the 68 Olympics, right? This was right before. So 67, I would think. Um, I'm sitting there and I, I was mesmerized. Once again, not knowing who Peggy Fleming was, you know, I'm seven years old. But I, you know, I understood that she was skating and this is something I had tried the year before and not enjoyed myself. And just seeing her and now final, now uh, sort of as a seven-year-old understanding what skating was, that it was going to be cold, that the ice was going to be hard, that you were going to fall and blah, blah, blah. So seeing that vision on it was, and it was probably ABC Wide World of Sports. Seeing that vision of this beautiful, she looked like a fairy princess, Peggy Fleming skating. I got it. I understood it. What was it about watching her skate that captivated you? Uh, it, you know what it was? It looked like she was flying. And I have a thing. I had a thing, and I still do for basically anything with wings, like fairy fairies and butterflies and dragonflies and and you know, and just wings. And it it just watching her because she is was and still is so beautiful when she skated it's like okay mom let's try this again that's what i said i said mom pointing to the screen to the tv i said i want to try this again that was it we went and i started with group lessons at, at the ice rink um which is now gone in culver city and i was hooked i was i was hooked i was obsessed so it was peggy fleming for, well, you know, my godfather who introduced me to it, but then it was Peggy Fleming who who kicked it in. And that is like, I want to do that. And I've been skating ever since. So when you went back to the rink that day, yes, were you filled with this great ambition to follow a path? Or were you just a kid who wanted to do something that suddenly seemed fun? I was just a kid who... Loved being in the, I was, I was a true, we call them rink rats. I was, I was a true obsessed rink rat. I was obsessed with um, just being in the rink and learning and, and doing something that I obviously loved. I was, I was driven at an early age and it wasn't, and, and it wasn't, I was one of those, I'm, I, and I'm still, I still wasn't that type of competitor where it was all about winning you know, kind of that Tanya Harding mentality. I got to win or else, you know, all hell's going to break loose. I got to win this, got to win, win. I was not, I didn't have that personality. My, and my, the same with my partner. And that's probably why we've stayed together forever. Our, our goal was just to be the best that we could be and just train hard, do the work. And so that was it. It was just about learning, learning. And I enjoyed that process. And with that, we just happened to win because, you know, we trained hard and we did the work. What was it about your home life in the 60s in Los Angeles that allowed you to dream in that way? My parents with both my brother and myself. And, and actually, my brother, who is three years older, Constancio, was the talent of the family. That's the athlete. That was the natural. He was the natural athlete because he was good at everything tennis football baseball um all kinds of sports no winter sports but you know anything he picked up he was great at um so he was the natural athlete i am not a natural athlete i have to do you know i i just i had to work twice as hard just because it didn't come as easy for me 
But I found one thing that I loved, and that was figure skating, ice skating. And, you know, that's all I needed. But our parents ex- exposed us to all the arts, theater, um, music, what, you know, whatever we picked up, they were there. So it was that, you know, to, uh, all the credit goes to the parents. My, you know, my dad worked three jobs to pay for my lessons and my ice time. And he was the one who, who went to work. And she was, she was the, the stay-at-home mom who took care of the kids, who drove me to the rink. Oh, my God. The, the, oh, I was so lucky. I was so lucky. And, went to, and she went to the competitions with me. You know, she was my chaperone. And my dad stayed home and, and made the money, paid the bills. So lucky. So lucky. I couldn't have done it without. And my brother, who, who basically took a back seat to this little kid who found her passion. So, yeah, there was a little guilt there, especially in my teenage years. When I, you know, when I understood that, you know, kind of all the attention's on me right now. But that's what parents do. You know, I found something and I just I went for it and I loved every second of it. As a little girl, you were working very hard. Did you ever think about quitting? No, not until one time much later, you know, not as an amateur, but as a professional. And it was it was the touring life and being on the road is basically, you know, rock and roll on ice. And there was there was one one moment where I just I, I did leave I, and I and I had to leave to save myself. I had to step away. I had to jump off the crazy train to survive and take a break and reassess my life on and off the ice. But as a kid and as an amateur skater, no, it was, it was, I loved it too much. I loved everything about it. And like I said before, thank God I had a partner who, who had the same goals. Randy and I just, we, we committed to each other, whether we knew it or not, we made a commitment at eight and 10 years old to be a pair team. And last year we celebrated our 50th 5-0 anniversary. Tell me about meeting Randy Gardner. Obviously, that had a profound impact on your life. Absolutely. Changed my life. Um, the special lady, uh, Mabel Fairbanks, the first black coach ever. This was a barrier breaker, history maker, um, you know, icon in the skating world. Um, Mabel Fairbanks was teaching at the rank in Culver City. And what was special about Mabel was she, she, first of all, she taught all the celebrities kids. For some reason, her personality, just everyone gravitated towards her. So A-list stars, Nat King Cole, Dee Martin, um, Danny Kaye, the list goes on. They all took their kids to Mabel. And then Mabel was the, the, the skating coach who taught all colors. You know, there was, there, and it was a predominantly back then, it was a white sport. But anyone of any different color, like Hispanic or black or, you know, even Asian, they, you know, Mabel was the coach they went to. So that just made her, she just stood out. 1968, um, there's, a, there's a little club show there, local club skating show. And Randy was taking from her as a solo skater and then uh, for probably a year before me. And then I had started as after him and what they do, they have these little club shows, local club shows, and they needed a pair team. 
a little, you know, just a little pair team. I hardly knew Randy, and he was much better than I was as a skater. He was a little more advanced. But, but for some reason, she thought of putting the two of us together. I, once again, I was eight years old, had never held a boy's hand, was very shy. Randy was very outgoing. But she simply said, looking us straight in the eye, you're going to hold his hand and you're going to skate around the rink together. That was it. I didn't know what pair skating was, but all of a sudden I'm holding this, you know, little, this 10 year old hand who back then he, we had this little kid disease called cooties. <laughs> um, so Randy, Randy had cooties and I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to hold his hand. That was it. So Mabel Fairbanks created Ty and Randy in 1968. Once again, it's, she changed our lives. She changed the course of our lives. You know, she created this little pair team who went on to do amazing things. How long did it take for you to become close friends? Um, probably a couple of years, maybe a year. Because um, we were, you know, just constantly together at that rink in, in Culver City. It was, you know, we're, we're family. I saw Randy more than I saw my brother. Um you were so young and you were working so hard. Wasn't it exhausting? No, no, it's the opposite. It's like, how lucky are we to be these two best friends getting to skate together and getting to compete together. And when, when we're on the ice, it's like, I'm not alone. I've got my best friend with me. I've got my soulmate. No, no, opposite. Lucky, lucky, lucky. Grateful to have him. Do you remember the first competition you won together when it really clicked and you began to think, oh, man, we might have something really special here? Absolutely. I remember exactly. So once we, you know, once we, um, once Mabel, the woman who put Mabel Fairbanks put us, uh, gave us basically everything she could give us as, as, as a skating coach. And then um, in 1972 or maybe the end of 71, we went on to train with the number one pair coach in Southern California, and that was John Nix, Mr. Nix. Um, and he was at a different rink, and that, this rink was in Santa Monica. So we went to Mr. Nix, um, 71, 72. We did a few competitions, you know, took our, our pair test to climb up the ladder. And in 1973, we won the national junior title. We became junior champions. So everything happened so quickly. And that's when, you know, you get to the national championships and, and, and every, all eyes were on us because we came out of nowhere. These two teens, young teens from Los Angeles, and they won and they're pretty good. And there's a future there. So it's 1973. Um, and then in 74, we moved up to the senior ranks. And that's when Dick Button and Jim McKay and Wide Roller Sports took notice because we came in second and we made the world team. And so there's your TV exposure. And then that's when the train left the station. What did it mean to you at that point to be on ABC's Wide World of Sports? TV sports was still pretty limited in the 70s and people planned their weekends around that program. Um, well, it just, it changes everything because people, you know, you start being noticed off the ice and you start getting your little fan letters and, and it just, it, it, it changes everything. You know, it, there's your exposure. I can't even imagine what it's like now with, with, every, you know, 
social media. But back then, like you said, there were there, there was three channels: NBC, CBS, and ABC. And Saturday, you know, Saturdays were and Sundays were the, those days, those wide roller sports days. And it just we became part of that family. ABC and the three: Dick Button, Chris Schenkel, and Jim McKay. Oh God, I miss him. They were family. They they protected us. They you know, they introduced us to the world. They introduced us to the world and we grew up on that channel. We grew up on that, that sports show, Wide Row of Sports. Because from 74 until 1980, that was home. You know, how lucky, how lucky and how honored. And I appreciate it. You know, now that it's gone, you appreciate, you appreciate those times so much more. You know, when you're in it, you, you, you don't you don't think about, oh, I'm on TV and there are millions watching us. You don't, I, well, at least I didn't. I didn't think about that because, you know, we had a job to do. But now looking back, it's like how lucky were all of us, you know, skaters from the 70s and, and the 80s, um, that we had that ABC family protecting us. Now, did that attention bother you? Were you able to keep your growing celebrity in perspective? Yes. Absolutely. And that, that comes with great parenting and a coach who didn't mess around. Mr. Nix, you know, when we were in the rink, it was, that was our job. And that was to train, train, train. Um, and also, you know, also growing, you know, as we were born in Los Angeles, we're surrounded by entertainment. So it was just, it was, I don't want to say it was normal, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a big deal because, you know, we're just surrounded by it entertainers and 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 this and the studios and and whatever else in Hollywood I was actually born in Hollywood so that wasn't you know didn't nothing really changed in 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 that way you know it probably helped whether we knew that or not in in grooming us for the future how did you deal with school well you we didn't have homeschooling back then we had private tutors so Randy and I both we got through I can't remember where when he started his private schooling um, but I got through the middle of eighth grade in public school. And then after that, it's like, you know what? It's one or the other because it was just too difficult to be up at five in the morning, go to school, then go back to the rink the hour. It was just crazy. And I, you know, some mornings in school, in, in my classes, I was falling asleep just because I'd been up that same morning at five or six. So it's, we had a private tutor who, and this is what we all did. Most of the top skaters. The, the tutor would either come to the ice rink or we would find a place like the library to do our re- required four hours of schooling or they would come to the house. So, and now that's much different because kids are, are, they have the wonderful homeschooling that are fabulous. So we both graduated and, um, but that's how we did it back in the seventies, private tutor. When you were on the ice with Randy at the top of your game, what was going through your mind? Were you in the zone? Yes. It's, you know what, it's hard to explain, and I still have it to this day whenever, you know, whenever we do perform. You're nervous, or I'm nervous, like those few minutes before you take the stage or you go on to, you know, the, the, the big arenas. It's like right before, it's like, oh, my God, here we go. Here we go again. But once you're out there, once I'm out there, and you hear the applause, it's like, oh, I'm home. This is my happy place. This is my frozen stage, as I call it. And it's, it's so 
comfortable. And not all competitions go well. Yeah, you know, I'll fall. And but you know, it's when you go on and you know that you've had great training, and you know you've worked, you've done everything you can for those that that moment, that five minutes on the ice. It's that sport. And yeah, there is that zone moment. I think you have to have it. I think all athletes have it. We all, you know, we all train differently and we all, you know, have our different rituals. But when you're in it, it's, it's like, okay, I have a job to do. Let's go. Figure skating is obviously unique in the sense that it's a combination of athletic skill and a kind of beauty. How would you describe that dichotomy? You just described it. <laughs> it's both, at least for, for Randy and I. And I think, I think, you know, most well-rounded skaters or performers have that athletic ability and also have that balletic quality to their skating. If you, if you, if you can find both and, and incorporate that into your performance, it just it makes it all that much better. And that's what that ballet quality, that that elegance, that lyrical skating is what set Randy and I apart from the Eastern Bloc countries, Russia and East Germany. They were very athletic. Um, They were all about the tricks and didn't have, you know, there was nothing, not much finesse with those skaters, with the the top skaters from Russia and and East Germany. So that, so here we come, there's these two kids, these two teens from Los Angeles with this, diff, this different kind of look. And also Randy and I are very similar in height, uh, which also set us apart from the six foot tall male skater and the five one, five two uh, female pair skater. So it was just different. It was different all around, but our, fo- you know, yes, we had to do the tricks, but what set us apart was our, our, our kind of different look and how we incorporated our dance training onto the ice. In those days, when you were competing vigorously against the Soviets and the Eastern Bloc, did you feel the pressure of skating for your country? In 1976, our first Olympics, no. It's, it's you know, you're wide-eyed and you're, everything is new. And it's like, oh, we, you know, we did it. We did. We made the goal. We made the Olympic team. And, you know, you're, there was no expectation. There was no pressure of, oh, the, you know, they've got, they're there in metal contenders. None of that. We came in fifth. We did really well. We came in fifth. But we were still the new kids on the block, and there was, there, there was no pressure at all. Four years later, different story. Absolutely pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. When you took a nasty tumble in front of a big crowd, what went through your mind? When you fall? Yes. Oh, get up. <laughs> <laughs> Is it that simple? It's kind of that simple. It's like you just get up as fast as you can and and try to, you know, regroup as you know in a split second and and continue like nothing happened. That's what you're taught, and it's not easy. You know, there's a lot of psychological stuff, but you know, the strong ones can kind of do it. It's it just get up, get up, and, and continue and pretend like it didn't happen. After all, that's life on so many levels, right? It is life. Exactly. Skating has taught me so many life lessons. How can it not? You and Randy won the 79 World Championship, and you were the team to beat at Lake Placid in 1980. Well, that was it. 
winning, winning, which was amazing. And it was just 79 was, was our year. It just, it all clicked. Um, but with that came, I can't even, I can't even tell you the kind of pressure I can't explain to you. And we understood it more and you, you know, the interviews and the magazine covers and the, and, the, and just the, the attention we got. And then the pressure of the media and kind of the United States having us win before, and I'm not putting down anyone, but they had us winning before we even got there. That's pressure. And they, they do it. They do that with other sports too. It, it's just, that's society. You know, they see something really special. They, they see athletes that, that, could possibly do it and they jump the gun before we even get there and they can't understand what that feels like you know the media can't because they're not athletes but it's, it's rough it's rough and that's where you have to put your blinders on and that's when you have to start you got to start shutting out different interviews and our coach was great at that it's it's hard though because you want some of that you know that press and that attention some of that you want but it was it was before the before the Olympics, it was it was crazy time. I'll be honest with you, it was crazy. Yeah, and some some interviews I would leave in tears just because I knew they were intruding on our train in our training time, and having mics strapped you know around us and lights set up for certain interviews. It's like oh my god, this is you know, we should be training, we should be training. And that's when our 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 coach finally said, you know, it's enough. They they have they have a job to do and they have to be focused. So, but yeah, it was, it was intense. And yet the pressure had nothing to do with Randy's injury, right? Not at all. Well, what happened with, with Randy's injury was he, he injured it at home in, at the rink in Santa Monica, but it was skatable. Um, yeah, like he could skate through it. He could train through it and training was going fine. And then we get to lay plastic and he re-injures it again. Now, this is where I didn't know it was, they didn't want to upset me, Randy and the coach, just because there was so much pressure there, you know, anyway, crazy time. But he did re-injure it once we got there and he was was getting treated by our our team doctor. And once again, it was, it was okay. It was skatable. It was worse than that, what they were telling me. I didn't, I didn't know that he was in pain. So what you see when you, when you, uh, I've gone back and watched the footage, it's not easy. That warm up, that whatever it was, the five minute warm up or six minute warm up before we to go out and do the compulsory program, the short program, you see Randy falling on a jump that he can do in his sleep. And here's the thing, if anyone's going to fall, it's usually me. And I knew something was wrong by the way he held my hand, by the grip. It wasn't, my grip was stronger than his that evening, but I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, well, maybe he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a bit nervous, but it's like my grip was stronger and I was leading. I was the leader that night. I went, oh man, something, something is seriously wrong. I'm not, he's the leader in this team. And I kind of followed his lead. And that evening I was the stronger of the two. And that's when I, I just to myself, it's like, oh man, I don't, but I didn't know how bad his injury was. And then when I went, then when he was falling, it's like this man, this Randy never falls, never. So something is seriously wrong and I could feel it on the lifts. 
he, he was just having trouble. And that was our story. It was the coach, Mr. Hicks said, they're out. You know, he made that, like, crossed his arms saying, they're out. That was it. You had been working toward this goal, this Olympic goal, since 1968. Twelve years. How in the world did you process that disappointment as a young person who had been dreaming of it for most of your life? Um, God, we could we could talk about this for hours and hours because it's it's fascinating, and everyone and this is you know when when the book my book does come out I will get into the, into the details of this I don't want to give too much away, but I will say the media wanted you know they always want that story they you know they always want that hook and there and and many of the the outlets wanted me personally to be upset with him like you said the other half took my dream away took the other half's dream away because he was injured there's your hook that she was pissed and how dare he be hurt and ruin my, you know, ruin my Olympics. There's your story. That's not the story. They didn't get that from me. And Lord knows they tried every way to get that out of me. And it's like, and I, it's like, no, that is not the story. And don't you dare write that. This is my best friend who is injured and gave it his last ditch effort to get out there. No, I'm not upset. I feel bad for him. And I'm sure you were as heartbroken for him as he was for you. Absolutely. And we we don't, it was just unspoken. It was just, it's, I can't explain it. But still to this day, one-on-one, you know, because we, we we did so much interviews after that. I mean, we, we became, with everything happening, with it not happening, that put us on the map in a, in a weird way. But one-on-one, Randy and I, to this day, and I, I'm, I'm, this is the absolute truth, have not had that discussion of what happened. And Randy, how were you feeling? And did it hurt? And what did the shot feel? We haven't had that. We haven't had it. And maybe we won't have it. But it's our story. I embrace it as rough as it was for both of us. It, with us not going to Lake Placid and winning, yeah, that would have been great. It would have been a little more money and a little more press and and blah, blah, blah. The press we got and the, the, the love we got from fans that embraced us like we were their own kids, I'll take that. How lucky. The president calls us that evening to say everything's going to be okay and we still love you. Our first telegram from Rosemary Clooney telling us everything's okay. And we we got, you know, over 20,000 telegrams. It's so funny, telegrams back then. That just made everything okay. That got us through it. It got us through that horrible evening, that tough evening. was We were embraced by the world. And still to this day, that's our story, that's our history, that it didn't happen the way everyone wanted it to happen. And we're okay with that. Because you understood that the world was sharing your heartbreak. Absolutely. Yes. It could have gone 
any other way. And some, what's interesting, Keith, is sometimes when you win, 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 they can't wait to tear you down. We didn't have that problem. We just we won the hearts. We won the hearts of of the world of of the U.S. And still to this day, you know, people, it's like, oh, you know, we, we all get a letter what, every once in a while. It's like, oh, my God, we, we were there with you. We, you know, we cried along with you. It's like, oh, my God, this is priceless, it's priceless. And we were so lucky. What did you learn out of that disappointment? That tomorrow's not promised. Anything can happen. So be, prepa- be as, as prepared as you possibly can. Because sometimes, you know, things just don't work out the way you, you know, people thought they were going to work out. So it, it's in the life lessons. That's, that's lessons on and off the ice. Anything can happen. So be gracious, be humble, as humble as you can, and keep moving forward. And that's what Randy and I did. We went on to have an incredible and still professional career. But it was that. So it just, we tur- somehow, without knowing it, we turned it around and people bought tickets to see us. And we, you know, we sold out arenas in ice capades. It's, it's, it all worked out. And we both realized how lucky we are and how lucky are we that we still have a career. I mean, it's so rare to, to, to have a pair team stay together for 50 years. It could have gone either, you know. After the Olympics, Randy could have said, you know what, I want to keep going and, and get a smaller partner. I could have said, you know what, I want to keep going and get a taller partner. But we made that commitment and we stuck to it. And you don't see that in pair teams very much now. You know, they'll, they'll switch partners and go from one to the other because something's not happening with the girl or the boy. I, I can't even comprehend that because I, Randy and I stayed together through thick and thin. And that's what I'm most proud of. Is our, you know, yeah, we've had just an amazing career, amazing, but it's the friendship that we kept intact through the most roller, co- I, I call our, our, our career is a roller coaster and it's still a roller coaster. And once my book comes out, it's going to be, a, you know, an even, another roller coaster, you know, cause I'm going for it and I've, I've got stories. So there's so much gratitude. And just that we kept, I'm so proud of this friendship. I can't, I can't tell you how proud I am of it. More than anything, that we kept it together. And that bond is strong. You're listening to American Achievers. Stay tuned for more conversation. What made you and Randy stay together for so long? It's the, the love, the friendship, commitment. Like I said, I, I didn't even know what commitment meant at eight years old. But it's like this, I'm skating with my best friend. And we just, you know, it was not spoken about. We just stayed together. And we, we you know, we weathered the storm. And there was a lot of storms. And there were amazing you know, amazing moments in our career and still amazing. I'm just, I'm, I, it, just, it blows me away. It blows me away that we, you know, we kept this, it's like a marriage. It's like brother and sister and we kept it together. I mean, it, this, this, this relationship outlasted my, you know, my personal relationship. Um, 
and I can't explain what goes on between the two of us, but it, it's, it's something special. Did you ever think in those days that there was some seven or eight-year-old girl who was watching you on TV? I think about it, and I hear, and I've heard, I've heard stories from little ones, from young skaters, you know, who are now grown-ups. Um, but yes, and especially uh, like 79 and, and even 80 with everything that happened. So many people tuned in and, and saw this team from Los Angeles and, and who looked different. Um, you know, I, I come from a multiracial background. You know, when, when, when do you ever see a Filipino, Black, Hopi Indian skater from Los Angeles on the ice? It wasn't common back then. It's a little more common now. So, yeah, I get those comments from now young adults and, and, and older, you know, you even especially girl, women my age. It's like, I watched you and I identified you with you because you look different and you were the same color as me. You know, it's all that I'm getting now, which I, I appreciate. When, you, when you're in it, like I said, when you're in it, you don't know what's going on because you have the job to do and, you know, you got to compete and got to stay focused. But now that I'm, you know, out of it, I, I appreciate everything so much more and I understand it so much more that I did, I did give it, I gave it a different look. Randy and I gave it a different look. Do you ever think about how your life might be different if you had not gone back to the rink <laughs> as a little girl? As a little girl. Interesting. Good questions, Keith. Um, great question. Like therapy. Are you going to charge me after this? No, I'm kidding. Only 500 bucks an hour. <laughs> but, um, I know exactly what I, I would have gone to because that thing is I was, a, I was a little artist before I was, a, before I picked up skating. So I was into painting and drawing and, and that was kind of, it's like, oh, maybe she's got that, you know, she's got that talent. Um, but then skating, skating jumped in and took over. So if I didn't go back to the rink when I was that age, that little kid, I would have become an artist. I would have probably gone to art school and then art college and been a complete hippie chick <laughs> <laughs> and really groovy. Um, yeah, I, was, I would have been an artist. So some, something in that field. But of course you were an artist. Artist on ice. So when people watched you beyond the athletic skill... What did you want them to take away from the experience? What did you want to make them feel? Oh wow! I love say, I I love I love to pause. Still do, um, but I love making people happy. I loved even as a little kid when you know I could, I could have done like a little axle jump, and it would put a smile on my face, of course or my coach's face, or my parents' face. I loved bringing joy to whoever did, you know, whoever was watching me. It could, it could have been, you know, the, the, the driver of the Zamboni. If I put a smile on his face, that was, that was it for me. And still to this day, I just want to make people happy and take them away from, you know, whatever their, their, their worries are, or their everyday life, if they're not having a great day and, and, you know, we can go and go out and perform and, and put a smile on their face and make them feel happy and joyful and, and forget their worries. That's, that's why I do it. And I think that's why most of us do it. It's, 
it's that, um, what's the word? Not, well, there's a reaction, you know, I love a great reaction. You want to make people happy. And especially in the world today, it's, you know, entertainment and, and music. That's what takes me away. That makes me happy. Was there one routine, the skill of it, the artistry of it, that you close your eyes and think, that was perfection? Is there one perfect moment in your mind? Yes, there is. And you probably saw it too. It's when we won, or you can go on YouTube and it's there. And it's when we won the world championship in 1979 in the Royal Blue costume in Vienna. That night, and I think every performer, every every athlete or skater has one or two of those moments where you're it's um, you're in that zone and it's that out-of-body experience where it just, everything clicks and it's effortless and you're not tired when you come off and it's and you don't want it to end it's it's one of those moments like oh my god i just want to stay out here and and just revel in this moment because it's so fabulous and it's what we work so hard and train so hard and it you know it takes a village because the parent you know the parents were in on it and the coach and everyone put so much of their time and energy and love into that performance. And that was ours, definitely, 1979. John Nix had a profound impact on you. How did he push you? How did Mr. Nix push us? Um, well, Mr. Nix, and he's, he's still around. He's on his boat probably right now. He's retired, and he's living the great life. He, Mr. Nix was a man of um, not many words. It was Mr. Nix was all about he would give you a look and you knew get to work, stop messing around, get the job done. It was just there was so much respect for him from all of his kids, all of his students. Respect on the ice, respect off the ice. You know, he so much respect for him. And like I said, he didn't he wasn't a screamer. He wasn't he didn't show a lot of emotion. When he cracked a smile, that that just did it for me. And it and if you watch the um, go go on YouTube and watch our World Championship performance, watch af, watch him after. I get a hug from him, and he never hugs. That's just not his style. That's not his personality. And I got the hug, and that that's when I went, okay, we did it. We got we we did what we we're supposed to do. That hug was huge, huge for me. So it was just it was just the respect of let's let's just let's do the best that we can do for him because he's given us his all. And you would I think any one of his students would tell you the same thing. Respect, respect, respect. He was the best of the best of pair skating coaches. Was there a time when you attempted a maneuver that you thought might be beyond your capability, something that was very risky, and it didn't work out? Something that you still think about? Yes, there, that, yeah, okay, that's a, another great question. Um, I'm going to go back to Randy and I being very similar in height. You know, there's only, you know, maybe two inches difference. Um, and the other pair teams, Eastern Bloc pair teams, were tall boy, little girl, or little woman. There was a move back then, and the skaters still do it now, but it's kind of a thing of the past. It was called a triple, a split triple twist. And 
everyone, all of the other country, the other skaters were doing it. And Randy and I could not get this. We couldn't get it because just the height difference. He couldn't throw me high enough for, so I could get that, the, you know, those rotations in the, in the air. I just, it, and we tried so hard and we had so many crashes on it. And we, but we were, you know, basically killing ourselves to get this trick. We couldn't get it. We find, you know, we just figured out something else to do to kind of take its place. So I would say that would be the trick. You know, we were just trying to keep up with the other pair skaters, but the, you know, the physicality of the two of us did not allow us to do it. Would it, would it have made a difference in our placing? Um, you know, maybe a few more points if, if it were good, but there's no way it would have been good. It just physically, it, it, we couldn't have done it. How do you manage that tension, pushing the edge without losing control? Right. Well, that's when you put your blinders on and you listen to your coach. And you ignore all the chatter because there was not, you know, there was nothing we could do. And this was, this was the brilliance of Mr. Nix. He figured out how to make us shine in other ways. And here we go back to the artistry. So there were things that Randy and I could do and different, uh, you know, other different balletic moves like a spread eagle or an Enid Bauer or a certain, you know, beautiful lift that the other teams couldn't do because of their height difference where it would look funny. So it was, it was kind of, well, you're going to take the, you know, the more artistic pair, you know, who looks beautiful and blah, blah, blah. Or are you going to, you know, it was either, or, you know, there were no similarities. You could not, you couldn't compare Randy and I with uh, Ronina and Zaitsev. It was, you're going to like one or the other and who's going to put it, who's going to put it together that on that evening. And that was Lake Placid. That was, that was the whole, that was the chatter. That was the media hype. That was, you know, you're going to want that, you want the American, more artistic American pair. You want the Irina who's won the Olympics twice before and much older, you know, who are you going to go with? And that was that big buildup. It was that all factored into that rivalry. You know, that was the network conjuring that up and they, they still do it. You know, that, that's what brings in the ratings. So I get it. I get it. Is it fun? No, but it, believe me, you know, looking back at it, it's like, I get what they were doing. They want people to tune in, duh. Okay. When you moved into the professional realm, was it different? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. A whole different world. Now it's like the real world. Now we're not protected, and now we're, you know... Now we're making lots of money and people are paying lots of money to see us and you better be good every night and you better be good three times on a Saturday and two times on a Sunday. Yeah, they're completely different. And, you know, you don't have your parents there to protect you and, you you know, you're skating once in the evening and you're, you're not training eight hours a day. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I, my, my performance has suffered just because I didn't understand it. For three years, I with, with the ice capades, I struggled all three years of that contract. And thank God I held on because if I would have broken that contract, all hell would have broken loose. So I, I made it through, you know, by the skin of my teeth. But yes, and it, it's culture shock. But it was my job and I'm a, prof- you know, as a, now a professional and, and 
it's hard to be great every night. And I didn't know how to pace myself, all, all learning lessons. And I finally, you know, once I got through that escapade three years, got through that contract, then I understood it. I call those three years really my high school years, on and off the ice. The, the best, as, as rough as it was, it was the best learning experience for me. I learned so much about myself, about people, about how people react, about performing, about being a great professional. Not easy, but just part of, you know, just part, part of my journey. What's the most important thing you've learned about success? To always pay it forward. Success is great, but to, you got to give back. Got to give back. And I learned that from one of my favorite people in the whole world. And he took me aside. We were at, we were at some Olympic event. His name is Rayford Johnson. He is my mentor. He is he is someone I look up to. I, he is up there on the highest pedestal. And we were at some event and he, you know, he asked me how I was doing and I, you know, everything was great and, and working and money was flowing and blah, blah, blah. And he, he said, Ty, don't forget to always give back to the less fortunate or give back to the Special Olympics. That's how I got involved with Special Olympics was through Rafer. And that's when I learned pay it forward. And it's not all, it's not, it's not just about writing a check. You know, I can't write big checks, but I can surely go to the Special Olympics and support those kids and give hugs and put medals around their neck. Or I can, as I do now, go downtown, go to Hollywood and feed my homeless friends and volunteer and and give back that way. It's so much a part of me. And I don't feel complete when I don't do it. There's a group of us. It's called Ready, Set, Gold. And it's this group that they send us past Olympians out to different schools here in Southern California. In fact, I have one next week and I love it. And we just go talk about our, our experiences as athletes, as Olympians. We teach the kids about setting goals, about focusing, about diet. That's paying it forward. That's giving back. That's, that's you know, giving back to these future, the futures. Like those kids are a future and you, you, you got to be on your A game right now, especially now. So credit to Rayford Johnson for that. Once again, it, it, he changed everything. And it was so simple. And giving back is so simple and so rewarding. Seeing these kids smile, seeing the students smile, seeing my homeless friends happy with a hot meal in front of them. And what does that do for you? How does that make you feel inside? The best. It, I can't describe it, but it makes me feel complete. And it's so natural. It's, it's like breathing to me it, it, because I'm so lucky. I'm lucky to have a roof over my head. I'm lucky to have a refrigerator with food in it. I'm lucky my, kid, my, my son Scout is healthy and I'm healthy. Homeless situation here is off the charts crazy. Um, and I wish I could feed all of them and give every, you know, build, build housing for them. Um, I can't do that, but I can sure volunteer and give them, you know, blankets and sheets and soap and food. It's everything to me. Try to instill that in, into my son. Like you got to give back. 
So, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. So simple. Do you ever think about the fine line between success and desperation? Such a great question. I, you know, I, I look at when I do volunteer in Hollywood, I look, you know, I, I lose it when I see children come in. I just, I have to step away and, t- you know, I have to take a moment and I'll have, I'll have my little cry inside and then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm back in it. But I, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, is bad luck and they just didn't, I, I feel so fortunate that I had the tools and I knew at an early age what I wanted and what, it, what it was going to take to achieve it. Not everyone has that makeup. Not everyone is overly, I'm overly driven. And I was an overly driven little kid. I was crazy. I was crazed with skating. I was obsessed. Not everyone has that chip. So it's, you know, that, that, that makes life tough. If you, you know, if you don't know how to set goals and you, you, know, you can't see, you can't see the future. It's hard for me to understand, to, to wrap my brain around not having what I had. And, and still have that drive. It's like, well, why can't you, do, you know, why can't they be driven in like, like, like I was or like so-and-so was, it, it, you know, we're all different. It's interesting. I don't know. That's a great question, Keith. I, I can't, I don't think I have a good answer for it. I don't know. I don't know. I want to, I have to, I have to help in my own little way. I have to, you know, I'm going to give you what I can give you. Time for the rest of your life, no matter what you do, you're going to be known as Thai Babylonia Olympian. What does that mean to you? That's great. And I, pre- I appreciate Thai Babylonia, the, the Olympian, but that doesn't define me as a person. That doesn't define Thai Babylonia. Thai Babylonia is a survivor. Um, and that's a whole nother interview, Keith, um, because of, 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 of my life and what I've been through and what I've overcome. That's all, it's all part of this, this, this book that I'm working on. I'm a survivor and I didn't give up. Olympian is that's the icing on the cake, but there's, there's more to me than being an Olympian and and being an Olympian, you know, taught me great life lessons. And I'm, I'm so proud of that. And I'm so, you know, Olympians, we are we are such a tight knit family. All of us, summer and Olympians, we are bond. Whether we see each other every day or every you know few years, the bond is so strong. I, I can't even explain what goes on between all of us. But I'm so fortunate to be part of that family, and I'm proud of that my Olympian family. But there's more. It that doesn't define who I am as a person. There's mu- there's much more, and it goes deep. Thanks to Lane McGibbony and all the good folks at Boutwell Studios for all the TLC required to bring this podcast to life. And audio engineers Joe Beeman and Jonathan W. Hickman. Remember, everyone has a special talent. You just need to identify it, cultivate it, and be willing to pay the price. You, too, can become an American Achiever.